There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again for uh, another um, great week. Um, we're going to awaken today uh, with my guest, uh, Raja Sodia, um, who I'm delighted to welcome back uh, back today. Before I introduce you to Raj, um, I just want to sort of preempt this interview with just how important I feel this subject we're going to talk about today is. Um, you only have to look around the world right now to see um, see as awakening to all sorts of situations and scenarios. Uh, re recently, um, I had a, a great interview with Sh uh, Shobna Kataria from Planet Matters, and we were talking about the need for organizations to wake, awaken to the needs of the planet and awaken to different ways of doing business. Um, last week, uh, our Tony McAleer was on the show, and uh, we talked about how Tony awakened from having been probably the lead of the biggest neo-Nazi organization in Canada uh, and how um, toxic shame had led to him um, moving into this fear. He said that, you know, being in that role, he got at attention when I felt invisible. I got acceptance when I felt unlovable and I got power when I felt powerless. Uh, and um, he when he had a young child, he awakened to the need for change. And he was, um, he came upon a coach um, who's a, a friend of mine called Dov Barron. And he opened up, he looked at his, in his, his daughter's eyes and realized he needed to change. He needed to awaken. And um, he had this, um, these coaching sessions from uh, Dov. And uh, he shared, you know, the, the brutality of his, of, uh, his life and his behavior. When Dov suddenly said to him, you know, I was born Jewish, Jewish, right? And he said, I just fell back in my chair and I realized here's a man who loves me, who loves my family, wants to heal me and see the best for me. I'm here. I'm sinking and, with, and flush with shame in my face, knowing that I'd once advocated for the annihilation of him, him and his people. And he looked at me and he said, that's what you did. That's not who you are. I see you. And that led to an incredible transformation for Tony. And Tony's awakening has led to a, an organization he helped found, which has helped 700 young people to leave, uh, leave um, hate organizations. And he's doing incredible work um, facing into his past with those communities. Um, he, he, he awakened. And then yesterday, I was, uh, so Tuesday, I was talking to um, Joyty Ma, who's a spiritual leader. Uh, with a lovely lady, Molly Harvey, and she um, represents and works with indigenous populations who have, have awakened a long time ago to what man is doing on this plan planet. And they've been trying to you know, let us know for a long time. Uh, and I was just um, really spellbound by uh, what is going on in that community and how they are um, contributing to the to, um, as moving towards uh, um, uh, an awakening around the planet. 
One of the uh, quotes I picked up, you're going to have to learn how to melt the ice in the heart of man. Only by melting the ice in the heart of man will we have a chance to change and begin to use his knowledge wisely. And that came from the elder of uh, one of these um, indigenous populations. So awakening is all around us. And Tony, sorry, uh, and Mirage has written a fantastic book. It's called Awaken, the Path to Purpose, Inner Peace and Healing. I believe it's his 16th, um, which is quite incredible. Um, and we're going to unravel the principles um, be, around this book. And I think the book invites us on a journey of real deep reflection, of self-reflection, offers insights uh, and skills to heal past traumas and recognize limiting beliefs and break free from cultural norms. Um, Raj is a luminary in Conscious Enterprise. He's the co-founder of Conscious Capitalism, Inc. You may remember that incredibly successful book, Conscious Capitalism. I remember reading that many years ago. Uh, and... And we're going to look at different ways and experiences from Raj. It's not just about personal enlightenment. This it's about impacting the world positively, living with authenticity uh, and uh, finding paths to meaning, love and joy, which are just so important today. So a big, big welcome to my guest today, to Raj Sisodia. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be back with you. I'm good to see you. It's lovely to see you as well. I think it's been, we think about four years since you were last on the show and yeah, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what's been happening in your world and uh, since our last interview, because it's been it's been a remarkable time, hasn't it? It has been, yeah. Of course, uh, we all experienced a collective trauma in the shape of uh, that pandemic, uh, which really, I think, had a huge impact on us individually and organizations and uh, countries. And uh, so that was, certainly was a shared experience. Uh, in terms of my own journey after publishing the healing organization uh, in 2019, um, I have been working on this book, uh, which came out uh, last April, uh, Awaken. I also did have another book in between called The, Rule of, the Global Rule of Three, which was uh, a follow-up to my first book called The Rule of Three, which was a book about strategy. Yeah, uh, that was about how markets evolve. So it's a very, very different uh, subject than what I've been mostly focused on in the last 15 years, which is consciousness and business and leadership and, and those kinds of dimensions. That book was kind of, a, in a way, a return to uh, my previous life, which was around strategy. Uh, yeah. But also we, we incorporated some of the elements of consciousness in there. But my primary focus uh, from a writing standpoint has been on this book. It's a journey that started actually in 2018. Uh, and, uh, you know, as I said, came out last last April. I've also been doing a lot of work now with leaders. Uh, my, my focus really is on deepening the work and getting leaders to really connect to their authentic beings and be able to lead from there. And that requires a deeper understanding of yourself, healing of yourself and evolu evolving that self so that you can become the leader you were meant to be. You know? mm -hmm really answer the question why are we here you know what each of us has a unique purpose i think for why we are here and what we are meant to do in this in this world and helping leaders uncover that has been a big part of my work i've also made a shift from babson college uh, where i was for eight years and i've uh, now joined uh, technological de monterey in mexico which yeah. is kind of the mit of mexico and we've started there about two and a half years ago because um and they've made a big commitment to conscious capitalism, and we have a big center there, Conscious Enterprise Center. We have about 100 professors teaching various aspects of conscious business now, and we're doing a lot of executive education and consulting and so forth. So. It, it, it's, 
you know, it's very encouraging, you know, talking to people like yourself and just realizing there is so much going on to educate the world into, and, and our leaders into different ways of being and different ways of thinking that are, are necessary in this new world. Yeah, and there's a sense of urgency about it now. Nice. I think most people recognize this decade uh, is being called the decade of determination. In a way, it will determine our future trajectory. If we don't make some very significant changes, then very soon, you know, then we're heading down a very, very dire uh, future, towards yeah. a very dire future. But if you do make changes, then I think we have the opportunity actually to enter a new golden age in many ways. Yes, we're kind of in a winter at the moment, aren't we? Of of change and um but spring spring follows winter um yeah I, I i can really resonate with what you uh what you were saying in you know in my own journey and since we we last spoke i had some health issues last year and uh faced faced my mortality at one one point and um fortunately rec- recovered from all of that and uh but what, what it's left me with is an absolute determination to contribute to a better world while i'm here and and, and you, um, you know, you've written an incredible amount of books. And sixteen is quite an a quite an achievement. And uh, and, and you're working all around the world. You you know, in Mexico. You're in Boston at the moment. You just you were in India before Christmas. Is is this is this all linked to your purpose and this drive to contribute? Yes, I believe uh, I have come to a point in my life and my work where everything is feels aligned. Uh, with my purpose, with my values, what I say, what I do, how I live, I'm trying to bring all those into harmony. Yeah. And so if I talk about building a world on love and care and kindness and empathy and connection, uh, one of the things that I realized that for me personally, I'm not saying everybody has to do that, but for me, uh, eating meat was not consistent with that. So I've become vegetarian now uh, over the last, I would say, 13, 14 months ever since I went to the Ayurvedic retreat last year. And then again, I did that this year. So I've stopped drinking alcohol. I've stopped uh, stopped eating meat uh, of any kind. Uh, you know, not just, it's, it's for me, it's, it's, as I said, alignment, it's values, it's ethics. It's also probably environmentally a good thing for human beings to, yeah. to do more of that, you know, so yeah. those kinds of things. So I, I'm, I, I was starting to recognize where I'm out of alignment and and one of the other experiences that I had, which actually drove that point home, is uh, in this trip to India, we spent one week at the Gandhi Ashram in Ahmedabad, where Gandhi spent a lot of time. Oh, right. In primary Ashram. Uh, when he came back to India after being in South Africa, and where he really shaped the freedom movement uh, for India, and spending a week in that program called Lead Like Gandhi, and really immersing into what does that mean, and how was this. You know, this little man, you know, five foot, five inches and weighing about 95 pounds, you know, how did he become a world changing figure? Yes. And not only what he achieved, but how he achieved it, you know, using nonviolent means in order to bring about significant, dramatic societal change and elevate truth and justice and love in the world. And then inspiring people like Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela to follow suit to bring about significant change in those societies. So, so there was a lot that I learned there, but also it reinforced my journey that I've already been on. You know that, you know, when you hear the same thing from multiple sources, you know that there's some core of a fundamental truth there. 
you know, so we'll we'll get into some of the things that I've discovered and then how they align with uh, with Gandhi's message. Wow, well, what a what a what a person to follow. And hey, we didn't have we didn't have social. Gandhi didn't have social media, and he didn't have television, did he? And uh, you know, the the impact that people like him had. Uh, um, I, uh, we talked uh, a few minutes ago that I've been out in Turkey and you know further deepening my understanding of the the wisdom around Rumi and seven hundred and fifty years, and he's still. His poetry is still read across the across the globe. It's um, it's incredible. Um, so, tell us um, in one of the um, in, in your book, you have a concept of list, which is love, innocence, uh, simplicity, and truth. Tell us a little bit about these these elements and uh, how these guide us towards inner peace and healing. Yeah, well, I'd like to share how that came about, actually. So I didn't just concoct that, you know. So I was in 2018, uh, was my year of, I would say, conscious awakening or conscious evolution. That's the year I turned 60, which I don't know, you're probably not there yet, but it's kind of, it comes as a bit of a shock, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I had to become 60 years old. You've know? got five years yet, but not just five and four and a half. <laughs> yeah, and so but. now I'm 65. But that year I was turning 60 and I was writing The Healing Organization, which uh, you and I talked about. Uh, but as I was entering the uh, the summer, you know, that year, uh, and I had blocked out the entire summer for writing retreats. We had already done, Michael and I had done our interviews and our research and we had gathered all the material and now it was time to actually write. And the way I typically do it is I set aside time uh, in a writing retreat by myself, one or two weeks at a time, and I go away to some cabin somewhere and and just work morning till night. And, you know, in one, in one week, you can get a lot done in that way. So I had that all planned out. But then I got the same message, the same question from four different women who knew that I was writing a book about healing. They all said, you're writing a book about healing, but what about your own healing? I said, well, I, I don't have time for that. I've got a book deadline. <laughs> October 5th, this manuscript is due. And I said, no, book deadlines are flexible. This is important, you know. You can't write about healing if you don't work on your own healing. Well, I said, I think I'm okay. I don't think I need any healing. You know, I'm, I'm all healed. And I said, no, we know everybody needs healing. And secondly, we know your story. There's a lot that needs to be healed there. Mm. And you really owe it to yourself and to this book and, and, and your future readers that you have to work on your own healing before you can do justice to a subject like this. You know? And so fortunately, I had the wisdom to listen to those four women. And I delayed the book by five months until February of uh, 2019. And uh, I said yes to a number of opportunities that I had previously declined, uh, citing the fact that I had this book to you, right? And so now I said yes to a Himalayan journey uh, where we were in the uh, high Himalayas on the border between India and Tibet. You know, literally we were at 22,000 feet crossing different passes, going into different valleys. Mm -hmm. And this is a seat of deep Buddhist wisdom. You know, if you talk about Tibetan yes. Buddhism, you know, this is the region called Ladakh. In India, so there are so many monasteries, uh, and uh, you know, there's so much Buddhist wisdom about about life and about suffering and, and healing. And so that's where I had my 60th birthday. Um, I also said yes to a silent retreat uh, in upstate New York with uh, Peter Senge and David Cooperider and some other wonderful people that have been heroes and teachers of mine. And in those four days of silence which I highly recommend for all your listeners. If you've never spent time in silence, it's so, so powerful and important because you know we are never in silence. We're always 
you know, uh, receiving inputs and messages and, uh, and uh, you know, noise all the time. Uh, but in those four days, walking around in nature with a journal, you know, I received so many downloads. I, I was constantly like, oh, my God, yeah, this inside and that inside. I had like 45 pages of notes. Wow. Uh, in fact, I'm writing a new book now that really came out of, of uh, some of the downloads that I got in those four days uh, about my own life and about life in general. I also worked with a coach for the first time, and I also said yes to a trip to the Amazon rainforest with uh, the Pachamama Alliance, uh, which uh, was started by Lynn Twist and her husband Bill and John Perkins about 28 years ago. And this is about connecting the indigenous wisdom of the uh, you know the the people of the rainforest in yeah. South America with the modern world. You know, that we have disconnected ourselves from nature and from that indigenous wisdom. And in the modern world, you know, we've done a lot, but we're also not connected to nature and we are therefore destroying yes. our planet. And we're hurting ourselves in the heedless pursuit of material and monetary gain. You know, we're damaging our health, physical health, mental health, emotional health, I mean, spiritual and emotional health. We're certainly damaging and destroying the planet and the ecosystem. We are destroying other species at a an incredible rate, uh, you know, it's 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 extraordinary uh, what has come out of that disconnection with nature. And so this trip is about reconnecting us back to nature, recognizing that we are as much a part of nature as a tree or a bee, but we somehow put ourselves in a different category, like we were parachuted yeah. into this planet. Yeah. Uh, you know, we didn't come into this planet, we, you know, we came out of this planet. Yes. Just like every other form of life. And so getting that connection and then also the shamanic healing you know, you have the shamans there that have been doing certain healing rituals for tens, maybe 10,000 years, you know, who knows, certainly thousands of years. And as Lynn said to me, you will learn more about healing in these 10 days uh, than you would in five or 10 years of research. You know, you really owe it to yourself. To so then I went on that trip and that's where in the middle of that trip, uh, you know, in addition to all the other healing things that we did, um, we had a, an ayahuasca experience. Ayahuasca that you may have heard of is the ancient brew that was mm. somehow people figured out how to take the you know the leaves of one plant out of the tens of thousands of different plant species that exist in that forest and the roots of another and you boil them together for two three days and it results in a brew that when taken alters your consciousness and they believe connects you to mother earth or to grandmother energy yep. and and you receive messages through that. Now, whether you believe that or not, it, it, it can be a profound experience. You, you know, you are in an altered state of consciousness and depending on your view of consciousness, uh, it seems entirely plausible that that could happen. You know, you can think about consciousness, sort of the material scientific view of consciousness is that each of us has our own consciousness sitting inside our head, you know, as a function of you know, our, our brain and our life experiences, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got our individual consciousnesses um, the other view is that consciousness is a property of the universe. It's like gravity or electromagnetic waves or something, you know, that's out there. And we're just tuning in, each of us, with our own unique tuner. Yeah. Right? And so we're connecting to that universal consciousness and then adapting uh, to some degree. And if you look at what happens in nature and what happens in different species and how there's coordination among birds and this and that, like there's something external to each individual. Yes. An entity that is that is synchronizing some of that. So if you believe that, then it says that you know we've kind of got, got locked into a certain frequency of tuning and certain way of of interpreting life. But this actually shuts down 
the normal uh, parts of your brain that actually do that is called the default mode network that determines your normal reactions to things and your ego-based uh, mechanisms that you've evolved. That part of your brain goes completely silent and other parts of your brain start lighting up and you start to see visions and, and receive messages and so forth. So that's really what happened for me. And then that night, I received a lot of visions and uh, I'll just share two of them, which are the first one, which is also connected to the list, uh, which I was shown an image from above of thousands of people standing in line under the hot sun. And at the end of the line was a tiny woman and each of them was getting a hug from her as they got to the front of the line and walking away in tears, having experienced unconditional love, perhaps yeah. for the first time in their life. And I recognize the woman as Amma. She's, she's known as the hugging saint from India. She travels all over the world and she comes to Boston every August and people literally stand in line for 12 hours before mm -hmm. you know, to wait to get a hug from her. She doesn't even speak English and somehow there's something that gets transmitted. So I'm being shown this as I'm lying there on a banana leaf, you know, under the sky next to a river with the shaman here. You know, it's a very surreal scene. And I'm being shown this in my mind's eye. And but then a voice says that all these people standing in line, they could be hugging each other. They don't need to wait to get a hug from Amma. Yeah. That we humans are the source of suffering. On this in this planet for each other and for other life forms yes. but we are also the source of healing yes. and the person next to you is every bit as able to help you heal as the so-called hugging saint so that was kind of preliminary and then i start to see these four letters floating in my vision uh, and the letters were list and it came it became an acronym the list and the voice basically says, here's the list. This is what the world needs in order to heal. This is what individuals need in order to heal. This is what families need in order to heal. You know, that this is the prescription for healing. And then each of those letters came into focus and became a word. And the L was for love. And the message was that everything that we do in this life must come from love. Yeah. Every action, every thought... Uh, must be rooted in love. Even if you have to fire somebody, or even if you have to let you know somebody die, or in a battlefield, you know, perhaps even if you have to kill somebody, can you do that with love? Now that sounds like a very extreme, you know, idea. Yeah. But okay. I've been trying to live with that idea ever since. Yeah. Am I operating from love right now? Or it's basically most of our decisions end up coming from fear. And greed, like if you look at business, a lot of decisions are rooted in, in fear and greed. Yeah. Or jealousy, right? Or, uh, you know, there could be any other kinds of emotions. Uh, can we try to do this from love? Can we remind ourselves? Because that is our fundamental nature. You know, as we know, there's many, many ways you can hurt people, but there's only one way you can heal them, and that's through love. And that is the only answer to healing yourself and to healing others and to healing the planet. So love. Second was innocence. The message was that we are all born innocent. We come into this world, into this life, as these innocent beings. But then in our early years, as we grow or grow up, we, we kind of become corrupted in a way by the ways of the world, the culture that we're in, the family that we're in, the societal norms, you know, all of that. We kind of learn how to use our intelligence 
you know, the hyper-competitive systems we create in schools, yeah. for example. You know, it's all about being better than the person next to you and climbing over each other and using our, our intelligence, you know, to uh, to take a, gain advantage over others and learning even to lie and cheat to get what you want. You know, these are signals and messages that come to many of us, right? Now, we don't have a choice. As a child, you don't have a choice. You're, you're born innocent and then you get, in a way, corrupted. But as you become an adult, you do have a choice. Yes. You can continue to, and you have a responsibility, actually. You can remain in that corrupted state once you recognize that well, that is what it is. Or you can choose a return to innocence. What does that mean? That I will not knowingly cause harm or suffering to another. I will not knowingly inflict that through my actions, through my words, to another. I will live with that innocence. You know, you know in the Tai Chi, there's a beautiful uh, section that says, you know, at the very core of each of us, there dwells an innocent being. And all good comes from that, right? From that pure being that, that we are. And we need to figure out how to return to that. We need to figure out how to shed all these other things, you know, and learn to live with innocence. Now, not the helpless innocence of a, of a baby, but the strong, knowing innocence of an adult, the mm. chosen innocence, right? We don't have a choice when you're a child, but you do have a choice later. The third was simplicity, that we make life too complicated, that the essential things in life are simple. We need to recognize and remember what those are. There's a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, senior who was a Supreme Court justice. He said, I would not give a fig for the simplicity on this side of complexity, but I would give my life for the simplicity on the other side of complexity. Yeah. When you get to a place of mastery and real understanding, things become simple. What really matters becomes simple again. So we need to aspire not to being simplistic, but to getting to the simplicity on the other side, the profound simplicity on the other side of complexity. And the last is the truth. What is our commitment to the truth? You know, we live in a world where truth seems to have lost all meaning. They talk about alternative facts and, you know, fake news and all of this kind of stuff, right? Truth is fundamental. Without acknowledging the truth, there can be no peace. And so if you Think about what happened in South Africa at the end of apartheid. They had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, started by Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela, which said we need to first acknowledge the truth of what happened under apartheid and over the last two centuries in South Africa before we can reconcile, before we can attain peace. We must first acknowledge the truth of what really happened. If you deny the truth of what happened, then there is no peace. So the truth has to precede peace, any chance at peace. And now as I think about Gandhi's life and Gandhi's message, you know, it completely aligned with this. I mean, I received this independently, right, through that process. But Gandhi, his whole life was about truth. His autobiography was called My Experiments with Truth. Yes. It was about love. It was about innocence because he believed in nonviolence, right? No, not knowingly causing harm to another. And that's basically being living innocently. And he embodied simplicity at the deepest level. You know, his possessions amounted to what, a couple of items of clothing and one pair of slippers and you know, one stick and one pair yeah. of glasses. And pretty much that's it. He had pared his life down, you know, and made it incredibly simple, but focused on what really matters in the world, what he calls Sarvode, the upliftment of all. Right? So I think there's something universal here about that message. And that is something that I'm still interpreting for myself and I'm teaching that. How can we embody that in our life? How can we learn to live by the list? 
And how can we also bring that into our work, into our families, you know, into every sphere of life? I think there's great power there. Um, so that's been uh, just been um, amazing to just sit there and listen to you sharing all of that. And, you know, it'd be easy to think you've written 16, 16 books. It's another book. What I've realized, you know, realized, listen to this, is that you've been through a whole journey, a personal journey and a healing journey to be able to write write this so it comes from you know incredible place of authenticity uh, and and wisdom and absorption um so this is, this is a gift so i thank you raj we're going to go to commercial break now um and after that break we'll 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 we'll, we'll talk some more now i think um we could probably talk for two or three hours on this and uh um, and uh, it's great so back again with you in just a couple of minutes and and just have a think during the break have a think about what have you taken from this conversation, Raj's experience? What have you taken that's valuable for you? Do you need to somehow go on a, you know, a journey of, of, of healing to awaken? What would happen if you start to live by love and innocence and simplicity and truth? Back with you in a couple of minutes. the boardroom to you voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the achiever program one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with raj the and i'm already sensing uh, the need for a part two 
<laughs> I think yeah. So we there's lots more that I want want to ask, and I'm just um I'm thinking about. I mentioned there about my interview last week with Tony, and you know Tony had to go through a lot of healing of of kind of past trauma um, from things that happened in his past that led him to feel a toxic sense of shame and isolation. And then what happens when people um, feel, feel that way and feel disconnected, they can be love bombed by organizations and people that uh, say, come and join us and, uh, you know, make them feel better. Um, but they may be being misled through um, through that that kind of scenario. And we have politicians trying to do that to us too. But I wonder, from your experience, how what's your your suggestion on how people go and heal some of those past traumas, such that they can then move on, so it stops affecting them in the present and the future? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things that we have to do and focus on. You know, I believe that there's an epidemic of trauma in the world. Uh, it's always been there, but we're now recognizing it uh, much more. You know, we talk about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I believe something like 11 or 12 million Americans have been actually formally diagnosed with PTSD. But I believe all of us have some degree of post-traumatic stress injury because life is difficult and there's traumatic things that happen uh, all the time to all of us. And most of us don't acknowledge those, we minimize them. We say, you know, I didn't go to Afghanistan and I didn't go to Iraq and I was not a first responder on 9-11 and therefore I did not see the worst of the worst things that human beings uh, encounter. And therefore, what right do I have to complain about what happened to me? Now, just because something is universal or common doesn't make it less, make it less impactful. And just because somebody else had a more severe experience doesn't make your experience irrelevant. And so I think first thing is acknowledging that, yes, maybe there is trauma, right? And let me look at, I talk about four kinds of trauma. So there's individual trauma, things that happen directly to you, or things that should have happened that did not happen, or things that happened that should not have happened, Yeah. right? So let's say abuse from a parent should not have happened, or you should have received love and and and, and some kind of a, you know unconditional support, but you did not. So what did you not receive what, and what abuse, what things that happened, right? Um, or many other kinds of things that individually you may have experienced. Then there's family trauma, things that happen in your family of origin, perhaps even before you were born. You know, your mother went through trauma or your grandparent or whatever it is, And but, but you grew up in the shadow of that trauma. You grew up in the energy system that was impacted by that trauma. And that certainly applies to me, you know, because there was some severe trauma in my you know, family of origin. Uh, and that that uh, that had never been acknowledged, of course. Then the third is ancestral trauma, which now in, in the field of epigenetics is uncovering fascinating things that things that happened multi generations ago could still be impacting our behavior today. Right. We may have irrational fears of certain things. Now we never had a personal experience that would have led to that fear, but if you go back two generations ago, maybe somebody in your family had that. I'm afraid of tight spaces. I get very claustrophobic. Why is that? Maybe somebody in my history, ancestor, uh, ancestral history was buried alive. I don't know. There might be some way in which that particular thing got imprinted. So there yeah. is ancestral trauma and then there's the collective trauma. Yeah. You look at the, the pandemic, certainly, or you know, many other things that happen in the world, the wars that are going on, you know, they're traumatic. So the, again, there are many kinds of trauma and we have to first acknowledge it. What most people do is that they, they deny it or they conceal their trauma because there's some degree of shame in saying I was abused or this happened to me or whatever it is. 
So you conceal it. And then, of course, you have to live with yourself. So what do we do? We numb it. We have numbing mechanisms and society is full of numbing mechanisms. You can walk into your corner store and get you know, 50 different numbing things, right? Whether it's food or alcohol or yes. you know, drugs of many kinds or whatever, you can escape out of that pain briefly, right? You can numb yourself. But then what happens once that wears off, you're back to where you were, right? So you conceal it, you numb it, but then you have to relive it constantly. It never goes away because you haven't done anything about it. So what is the answer? The answer is to reveal it, to talk about it, bring it into the open. You know, sunlight is the best disinfectant, as they say. Doc, as Mr. Rogers said, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. You know, in my book, I've written about many traumas, you know, some very painful things that I've written about that I uh, experienced, but also learned about in my family of origin. You must reveal it and then you allow yourself to feel it. You know, genuinely feel, you know, as opposed to hiding it away somewhere, feel that uh, trauma, and then you're on the path towards healing it. But of yeah. course, it's not as simple as that. You need help. Yeah. yeah. You need help. So the, the great thing about the time we're living in is that there are many, many modalities available. I strongly recommend a documentary called The Wisdom of Trauma okay. uh, by Gabor. It's about the work of Gabor Mate, who's an incredible a doctor who's devoted his life to to this and he comes from his own trauma you know as the child of holocaust you know survivors and so forth um, and that that documentary really talks about this field in a very broad way but what we really need to do first of all is find a kind of therapy that works so gabor has trained about 2000 therapists in what he calls compassionate inquiry which is trauma informed therapy Right? So when you look at conditions that people are dealing with today, rather than using just cognitive behavior therapy and you know, all the usual stuff, yeah. to go back and say, well, let's try to get to the root of this. What may have happened in your life? right? And how do we then try to heal from there? The great news about this is that if we are able to heal, then we can attain what is called post-traumatic growth. Post-traumatic growth is that you are stronger because you had a trauma and healed it than if you never had the trauma in the first place. You know, if you have a human life who's somebody who sailed through life and never had anything bad happen to them and they're just like, you know, how strong a person do you think that is? How much help can they give other people? Not really, right? So there's a beautiful metaphor that the Japanese have. It's called kintsugi, the art of precious scars, where when a piece of pottery breaks, instead of discarding it, they put it back together using a blend of gold dust and glue. Okay. Right? So you see it, it has all these veins of gold now that you put it back together. And this piece of pottery is now stronger than it was when it was unbroken. Yeah. Why? Because it had some invisible fault lines within it, which have now been strengthened. And now it's stronger and it's a work of art. And same thing can happen for us. Our healed wounds can actually become a source of strength for others. You become that, that wounded healer, as, as yeah. they say. So again, just to point your readers or your listeners to some of the modalities that are available out there, there's something called acceptance and commitment therapy, biofeedback, cognitive process therapy, EMDR, which is this eye movement, yeah. desensitization and reprocessing. It sounds weird, but many people swear by it. It really works. Uh, hypnotherapy, even past life regression has been found to uh, re remove trauma for many people. Uh, the inner child work, internal family systems, neurofeedback, uh, exposure therapy, uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, you know, which I have experienced, and MD, uh, 
uh, MDMA is, is, is proving to be extraordinarily effective uh, working with uh, people with severe PTSD, people, you know, veterans of wars in, in Israel and in the U.S., you know, they found some dramatic healing going on, not just helping them cope, but actually healing and becoming who they were before the trauma. Uh, psychodynamic therapy, somatic therapy, uh, trauma system therapy, there's just a lot. And so I think the, that's the good news, right? There's hope yes. and there's expertise and there's tools that are available now. There's no reason why we have to continue to suffer the way we have been. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's uh, like you like you, you ident identified those ladies that you spoke spoke to identified is that we've all got some healing we can we can continue to do. I'm, I'm, I'm in, interested as well. You you talked about you know that getting back to um you know get, get, getting getting back to uh, innocence and we have a lot of uh, conditioning as we grow up there are a lot of cultural nor norms and ways of doing things and some of those really can be very limiting how do you advise people kind of break free from some of those uh, patterns of be thinking which have become behavioral um yeah yeah, so I think it, it, it first of all requires us to uh, cultivate a degree of detachment from ourselves, you know, being able to look at ourselves objectively. And that may require some help, you know, therapy is, is, is a good way to, uh, to do that. But to look at what are some of the sort of automatic ways in which I behave? Stimulus immediately leads to a response, right? What are those neural pathways that have become very deep in my, in my mind so that I automatically react in certain ways to certain things? And you try to insert a pause in between the stimulus and the response, which is consciousness, becoming yeah. mindful, becoming conscious, observing yourself, right? And say, why do I think like this? Or why do I react like this? And then looking at factors such as your culture, such as your parents, right? Such as um, your profession, right? And all the other things that expect certain ways of conformity, certain ways that you're supposed to behave, uh, if you're part, if, you know your religion. If I am a Hindu, if I'm a, you know, I come from the warrior caste, right? I have these kinds of parents, or I'm an academic, right? Or now I'm an American as well, you know. And so all of those things can put you in a box to say, you know, you kind of have that tribal, you know, mentality of saying this is because I'm that, therefore I think this, you know. Uh, I think we have to liberate our thoughts and our ways of being from those constraints. So that we can actually be, each of us is unique. Each of us is different. And most of us, we allow many layers of, of all of these kinds of conditioning to completely shut that off, right? So I think it's, again, connecting to that and, and questioning and challenging and looking at it with some detachment and objective eyes, trying to have cultivate that beginner's mind, you know? And don't put yourself in that box, right? And say, what is it, you know, how would I respond? from that place of you know, conscious objectivity or being outside of that system. So in my case, for example, I never bought into the dogma around the warrior caste in India that I was part of, or some of the dogmatic elements of my religion. I never bought into the dogma of my academic profession where I'm supposed to remain aloof from the world of practice and everything has to be done with total detachment and so forth and, you know, 
experiences where professors, senior professors got mad at me because I published in the Wall Street Journal. Go, yeah, that's not your job. You're not a journalist. You shouldn't be engaging <laughs> in business. You know, those kinds of things. So again, you have to be true to yourself. You have to have the courage of your convictions. You have to believe and trust. It calls for a lot of self-trust. You have to cultivate some degree of self-trust, not in an arrogant way, but to say, this is my core. This is my essence. This is my nature. This is who I am. And I have to understand that first and then be true to that. Right? As opposed to following somebody else's path, trying to please others. You know, we yeah. we are trained to become people pleasers uh, in this life. You know, we think we we suppress ourselves to such a degree. You know, there's this framing that Gabor uses, which is uh, attachment versus authenticity. Right. So there's a we are kind of forced. Uh, expected to make a choice as a, as, as a child, for example, or a young person. Uh, do I want to belong or can I be myself? Mm. Now, ideally, you should be able to be both, but we think there's a choice there. So if I want the approval of my parents or the approval of my manager or whatever it is, I suppress my own authenticity because of that attachment, desire for attachment, you know, people pleasing, another way to say that. And therefore, you lose yourself in the process. Yeah. So, just, to that. Just, just, just sort of linked in, into that point. I, I interviewed a, um, a gentleman, David Allison, uh, on he's done, they've done a huge amount of work around values around the globe, over a million surveys to understand pe um, people's values. And you know, one of the things that we have in common, as and they've identified in values across the world, is that about eighty percent of us have um, have one or a several togetherness values so those include things like belonging you know um together mm. and connection those, those those kinds of things family uh, and interesting in the united states right at the top the, the research suggests is that, that the the number one value is belonging mm. and uh, so you know impacts belonging to a political party uh, belonging to a you know a a football uh, American yeah. soccer team or a baseball team or and actually that comes ahead of family so the United States of America um have almost as a programming there about you know around belonging and uh, what you're suggesting too, is we have to maybe be prepared to be detached from that uh and and our own thing so it's almost I'm just what I'm hearing is that is there's a need to uh impact nations with this thinking Yes, so we want people who are free thinking. They're not just conforming for the sake of conformity and they give up their own critical faculties, right? And it should not be a choice. You should, any attachment that happens because you gave up your authenticity is not, you're not, it's not the real you that is attached to it. Yeah, people. that's the key, isn't it? Authenticity, yeah. And so you have to stay true to yourself and then connect to others from that place. Yeah, and and be willing to accept that. Yeah, there are differences that we might have, but I I need to be true to myself. You know, there's a wonderful little article that I read, the called the dangers of the good child. You know, the dangers of the good child, and basically, I was one of those kids who was so compliant. You know, I did everything that was asked of me. I never gave trouble. I never got into tantrums and argue. You know, fought with my siblings, and I did my chores and I did my homework and everything. Was my room was neat. Right, because why? I wanted my father's approval. I wanted to belong. I didn't know my father until I was seven years old. Okay. And he was this, you know, imposing larger than life figure and really seemed to disapprove of me. And so I, I really sacrificed my own authenticity and my own voice 
for many years. Now, what happens when you do that? That conflict, right, does not go away. It goes inside you, right? So that you're swallowing that, you know, uh, and not being yourself. So that can show up later when you're not expressing your emotions. You're not expressing anger that you might feel uh, or any other emotions. You know, emotions are meant to be expressed. I mean, emotions are energy in motion. You know, most children are able to express emotions and five minutes later, they're fine, right? But if you don't do that as a child or even as an adult, then what happens? It goes inside you and then it shows up later in your body, yes. certainly in your psyche, but also in your body. And this is one of my big uh, uh, realizations last year is that I had all this chronic pain, you know, starting with lower back spasms and then moving into my legs and glutes and all over my ankles and you know, many different parts of my body, this pain just kept moving around. And I thought it was something physical. I was getting massages and I was getting painkillers and injections. And, and finally, I realized this is emotional, that this is unexpressed emotions and unexpressed anger and things like that. And there's a book called uh, Healing Back Pain, The Mind-Body Connection by Dr. John Sarno. It kind of changed my life last year. After I, I think I got something like 30 massages, 35 massages, you know, <laughs> places, and all these other three interventions, and everything was getting worse. I couldn't stand, I couldn't walk, I couldn't lie down, I couldn't sleep. And then finally, it was reading this book that in a way released me, because the book says, when you're not willing to confront some emotional pain, your mind, in order to distract you, will create physical pain in your body. Right. You know, because your, your brain actually controls all of that. And it'll send signals to part of your body that'll result in pain. The pain is real, but it's actually not a structural thing in your body. It yeah. is something. So once you understand that and you start to look at those emotions and express them and journal about them or have the conversations that you're avoiding or whatever it might be, that pain goes away. <laughs> it was kind of miraculous what happened to me a year ago, you know. So So there's a lot there. I think we have to, as I said, be true to ourselves express ourselves, lean into conflict in a healthy way if there has to be. And I was one of those people who sought harmony at all costs because I grew up in a system of so much conflict. You know, my, my father, my grandfather, my uncle, I mean, everybody was shouting and yelling and, you know, at each other and it was just, you know. And so I was, I just instinctively craved harmony. And I was a peace-loving, you know, gentle, sensitive kind of kid and born into that environment. So I just craved harmony. And therefore, I over the decades, really, I sacrificed my own voice. I would not speak up when I saw something clearly wrong going on. And many times, sometimes I did, but many times I suppressed my voice because of that need to belong and because of my craving for harmony. You know, my partner jokingly called me the chief harmony officer. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Let's get along. You yeah. know, can we not talk about this? Now I'm learning that actually that's not the same as healing. Healing means leaning into necessary you know, conflict and, and dealing with those differences and, and surfacing them and learning how to do it in a healthy way. Yes. So that's, you know, one phrase we use is get curious and not furious. Yeah. Right? Try, to, try to get to the root of that and understand why that is. So again, uh, a lot of, lot of learning that goes on even after the book came out. Fantastic. Well, we're uh, almost at the end of the interview now. We've got um, about three three minutes left. And I, I just wonder now, um, how would you recommend, I mean, people, if you want to go and uh, you know, access um, Awaken, um, you can check out awakenbook.us. You can also rajasodia.com if you want to check out Raj's um, uh, website. Um, I think you're probably getting a measure of the man and his depth from our conversation today. So, um, 
some good research there and, and you can you can access the book um which i um i actually don't have a physical copy of it so i'm going to order it um after this interview because uh I love a book that is is properly, deeply uh, researched and experienced, um, and uh, Raj absolutely convinced me about this uh, this book today. Um, but is there a, you know a final message that you'd like to leave people with, maybe about how they might want to start implementing some of the these insights into their daily lives? Because not everybody's got the opportunity to go to the Himalayas or to the Amazon or yeah. you know, retreats in India, like you've been you've been through to do all of this, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think the reason for writing this book for me was really so that other people might gain benefit from my experiences, some of which were quite painful and others that were quite difficult for other people to do. So what can we can all learn from our own experiences, but it's it's a human capacity to be able to learn from other people's experiences. And I think we've all had that experience where you read a book and it changed your life. You know, I read Man's Search for Meaning and it did change my life. You know? Yeah. Wish I had read it when I was twenty. I read it when I was almost fifty years old, but you know, better late than never. So, so this book is really trying to do that and trying to bring some some of that that wisdom, you know, universal, timeless wisdom that I have connected to and learned. And so, for me, for the readers, recognizing that even though it's a personal story of my life, but it's also quite universal. The details will be different for each of us, but the the, the basic. Uh, landmarks along this journey are there for all of us you know the search for purpose the inner peace and healing all of us are on that quest yeah we're all on that hero's journey that we need to become who we are meant to be that's our purpose in this life we are born here to grow and then to give to become who we are meant to be and so how do we do that how, you know these are some of the things that uh, that we can learn from that and i've distilled it down in the last chapter to some of those uh, those steps you know that it is about staying true to yourself through this entire journey. Don't lose your connection to self, who you are at your core essence, right? And that means you have to really know yourself. Who am I? Not my name and religion and you know occupation, all of those demographics, but who am I as a soul, as a spirit? Yes. Uh, love yourself. You know, most of us, even if we know ourselves, many people despise themselves. 80-90% of people probably have a high degree of self-loathing. How do we get to a place of self-acceptance, self-compassion, self-appreciation, and self-trust? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that can be done as we go on that journey. And then be yourself, you know, express that into the world. So and then as you get to be... We're going to have, we're going to, have to go with that, I'm afraid, because we're going to run out of time and get cut off. But Raj, it's been an absolute gift talking to you today. And what, what an amazing conversation. Lots to reflect on. Um, do check out rajasodia.com, awakenbook.us. Uh, and yeah, thank you. Thank you for your your contribution and all your books and all your your wisdom and uh, and and uh, your desire to share it with the world and uh, make a difference. Um, on next week's show, we have Jacqueline Lane and Scott Osman. Um, they have an organization, 100 Coaches, which was founded by Marshall Goldsmith. Uh, and we're going to talk about their new book, Becoming Coachable. Um, but once again, you know, this is about awakening uh, and we're in a really key time in the world right now and some of these thinking and principles have the opportunity to set you free and and to contribute and we all need to contribute and do that together connecting people with love um and i love the innocence um i love the um simplicity and truth that raj shared today leave you with that and i look forward to speaking to you again next week thank you chris i really enjoyed speaking with you
We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.